Welcome to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University. I'm your host, Ian, and along with the staff and students at Belgorod State University, I've taken it on myself to try to explain whether Russians find it easy to navigate the social minefield we call etiquette. We've all made social faux pas. The effect is immediate once you realise it, and you shrink slightly, your stomach knots a little, or a lot, depending on the gravity of your sin, and you turn a different shade as your embarrassment rises. You clear your throat as everyone stares. Oops, think the onlookers, or worse, how could he? As a foreigner here, I'm given a certain amount of leeway. Nobody expects me to be fully aware of social propriety, but then, if my behaviour is deemed too unacceptable, then it is my wife that bears the brunt, not having trained me sufficiently well. A little unfair, perhaps, but as a Russian, she does not carry my diplomatic immunity. I will confess that, despite many years living and working in my adopted homeland, I still make errors even I find perplexing when I think about it. Most recently, I bought flowers for colleagues that were a trifle too cheap to be worthy of the occasion. My wife let me know that it was unacceptable in short order, and I knew she was correct immediately and too late. Still, my crime against etiquette was forgiven by my colleagues who were extremely gracious under the circumstances, not allowing me to mumble my embarrassed apology and insisting that it is the thought that counts. They lie for loveliness, the best of reasons. Often, I am over-enthusiastic. I am an optimist by nature and find it difficult to constrain myself when the mood takes me. The suppressed emotions that are a necessary part of polite society are burdensome and dull for me, and worse, I'm mostly irritated by them. Faced with the court of Louis XIV, I would have gladly left for a life of piracy and adventure. 19th century middle-class morality has more than a whiff of hypocrisy for my tastes. I am an iconocast by nature, I suppose, a misfit. That said, I am weirdly obsessed with questions concerning physical contact. Something inside me cannot accept the inequality I perceive in the fact that women do not shake hands with men here. I have taken to fist bumping, which seems popular enough, though somewhat out of place. I am a natural hugger, but I know it is considered a little intimate in this culture. I am still under diplomatic immunity, thankfully, but I am sure my colleagues think I am slightly unhinged. Russians, like anybody else, are constantly navigating the same choppy waters when it comes to etiquette. In this episode, we will discuss good manners. Anyone who arrives here will find it a little confusing as to when it is appropriate to shake hands, hold open a door, or give up their seat for a lady. To hug or not to hug? That is the question. Before we hear from our main guest, I sat down with Ivan, a young student of my acquaintance, whose views on etiquette are a trifle, let's be polite, underdeveloped, and Nguyet, a refined and well-brought-up young lady who offered an East Asian perspective on the matter at hand. You're listening to Understanding Russia. So I'm joined in the studio by Nguyet and my friend Ivan, um, and we're going to talk today a little bit about etiquette. What is etiquette? Well, Etiquette seems to be the way that we should talk to each other and we should be around each other. How familiar are we with this idea of etiquette? Uh, do you regard yourself as being a polite person, Ivan? I feel like I was brought on to this podcast, especially because I know nothing about every single topic we have discussed so far. So I feel a little bit betrayed. I, I feel like I'm being displayed here as a monkey who knows nothing. <laughs> so you 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 would regard yourself as impolite and I don't know what it means Ian what does it mean to be impolite Well to be personally offensive I suppose to be uh unaware of other people's needs or desires Oh then yeah I'm then definitely, definitely impolite 
But Anguillette is an absolute gorgeous person doing gorgeous things all the time. She looks great. She carries herself with a certain, I suppose, je ne sais quoi, a certain understanding of the world. She's always polite to me. You're always very polite to me. Yet at the beginning of this podcast, you referred to me as your friend and didn't include her. Maybe that was a slip in etiquette, right? Anguillette, what do you think? Well, about etiquette, well, I never um, really learned anything about etiquette because, well, you know, there are certain courses, certain classes about etiquette. But as for me, I think etiquette is included in my culture, in Vietnamese culture, because it's all about uh, politeness, all about not saying unpleasant uh, stuff straightly into a person's face. So not, not speaking unpleasantness at someone directly, yeah? Sure. Talk about them behind their back. So you can say anything you like as long as not to their face. Is it a very polite culture, a very formal culture, Vietnamese culture? It is a formal culture. If you listen to a talk between two Vietnamese people and between a Vietnamese and a Western person or two Western uh, people, you would recognize the difference because Vietnamese usually spend 20 minutes at least Just to talk about the life, their life, the children, how it's been going on. And only then they get to the topic, the main topic. So there's a lot of small talk before you get to the main yes. beef of the subject. I think that's true in Britain to an extent. We have this reputation for talking about the weather a lot before we get to the point. But in business, it's the opposite way around. So the politeness in business is to say, is to not waste people's time effectively. And I know that from attending meetings in Russia, wasting time is, is an art form here. What do you think about that? As a person who knows nothing about nothing, so you're saying attending meetings and wasting time, how often are people late to these meetings? Because I have heard many, many times phrase, fashionably late. What does it mean? I hate when people are late. It's an allowance, I suppose. I mean, when you say it in English, being fashionably late means to be late for a party, I suppose. So you, if the party starts at seven or the we're feeding people at seven, you turn up at quarter past seven because you don't want to be the first guests, because you don't want to look like you're desperate for food or attention in some way. But I think in business, if you're late, you are disrespecting people. If you're on time, you're late. It's different. There's no fashionable lateness in work. So sure, I, it's a basic rule in, in doing business, I think not being late. Yeah, but I experience it a lot. I think five minutes is nothing in, in Russian culture. Being five minutes late for something often happens. Being five minutes early for something doesn't often happen, in my experience. Mm. Maybe I'm unique because I I've work in the university. I've been translating, interpreting for some Vietnamese groups, uh, working groups here in Russia, and I would say Vietnamese people usually waste people's time not being late, but by spending too too much time thanking everybody for organizing the trip, organizing their staying, organizing the dinner for them, uh, thanking for every simple thing. And it takes uh, around 20 minutes after um, they have discussed everything uh, to thank everybody. And uh, interpreting this stuff is sometimes Not not boring, but you don't know how to uh, interpret it because you understand that the Russian part, um, the Russian group is uh, already fed up with uh, <laughs> responding to the thanks. Yeah, I've been introduced here. When I when I give a lecture here to an auditorium, 
what will happen is that the they'll be introduced as a sort of special guest VIP who's going to speak to you now. And the first time I did it, my host or the MC, I suppose, came up to me and said, do you have any official titles? Uh, have you written any books? Have you accomplished anything in your life that I can announce to the people around us? And I said, um, honestly, if I had, I wouldn't tell you. Uh, but actually, I haven't. So that left this poor woman in a in a bind because she then had to go out onto the stage and just introduce me as Ian. And after the occasion, I said, it's best if I introduce myself because uh, rather like the late, great Johnny Cash, who walked onto the stage with a guitar and said, hi, I'm Johnny Cash. I just walked onto the stage and said, hello, I'm Ian. Today, I'm going to talk to you about X. And for the Russians, this was a very strange thing to happen. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Well, it's weird to hear you saying you would rather introduce yourself rather than someone else introduce you to someone. Being a British and everything, aren't you people supposed to be, what's it called? Reserved. No, it's too nice for you. Cold. No, haughty. Haughty. Right. Yeah, I suppose Aren't you so. supposed to wait for someone to introduce you to someone else to start? Well, pers- personally, that's true. I had a, I have a friend, and we were walking uh, just in the center of the town, and a friend of his approached. I didn't know this guy, and he started talking to my friend Sasha, and they had a long conversation, which ended on one street corner, and then the guy left, and he shook my hand, which is quite strange. But I, he never introduced me. So Sasha said to me, well, Ian, why didn't you speak to my friend? Did, did you not like him? I said, oh, I liked him well enough. He was a nice guy, but you never introduced us. And he's, what do you mean? I said, well, I can't speak until you introduce me to him because it's not my place to speak. And that is a very strange thing for Russians, I think. So here's the difference in etiquette. That's etiquette. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you simply introduced yourself to my wife, for example without me introducing you to my wife, if you didn't know her, I might be offended by that. I mean, personally, I probably wouldn't care that much. But in our culture, that's that's kind of a thing. You're supposed to introduce through people you mutually know. So how do people meet absolutely new people? Or are they just hoping that they know someone who knows someone who knows someone? No, you wear a name badge. <laughs> if, you're going to, if you're going to go to a conference where you know nobody, the organizers will give you a name badge. Sure. And then you just well, walk you just up go, and say... walk around and ask, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Can't do that in English. No. No, it's rude. It's like asking, how old are you? That's something that happens in Russia all the time. When, when I first Why started... Why is it rude? Yeah, it's rude because it's none of your business. How old am I? What, I does, mean, it, what asking, does it matter? Wait. Asking women's age is rude, but man's... Yes, I've heard about that you shouldn't ask a woman of her age, but a man, who cares? How old are it's you? It's a double standard. Why do you need to know my age? You don't need to know anything about me. Simply to have an idea about how more experienced you are yeah. than I am. Um, yeah, but say. you can see that. I'm obviously only a couple of years older than you guys. I'm <laughs> very funny, yeah, I know. Right, but here's the thing. I, when I meet my students for the first time, I say, talk to, talk to me about yourself in English. And they always say their name. And then they say, I am 22 years old or I am 19 Because years old. they are taught. Uh, in school that every time when you introduce yourself there is a scheme a certain scheme first you say hello then you say nice to meet you then you say uh, my name is then you uh, talk about your age your family your education and stuff 
but I've never seen that. It's not even written in the Cambridge books that we use, okay? So the, in the English books that we use to teach people, they don't say, how old are you? That's not a question that you give to people. Why? Because it's rude. Wait, well, I, I still can see why is it rude. It's, it's not like you're divulging your pr- pr- private number or something. We don't even ask what your name is. Well, yeah, be- because you're weird. It's none of my business. If I say to if I say to and get hello and get uh, no, you wouldn't say that because I didn't know your name. But if I say hello, pleased to meet you. My name is Ian, right? If I say to what's your name? Well, in Britain, only policemen ask you what your name is. So she's got no. Maybe she doesn't have to tell me her name. Maybe it's because of your idea of privacy, the British idea of privacy, yeah. just not giving uh, your information, private information, uh, away that quick. Well, I just think they're weird. Well, you may think that, right? But Unget doesn't have to tell me what her name is if she doesn't want to. No, she doesn't have to. Just because I introduce myself. No one has to tell you anything. Right. Well, aside if you're a policeman, then yeah. Well, yeah, but even in Britain, the policemen don't necessarily have to get that information either. We don't carry passports in Britain. In Russia, everybody carries a passport. Is it the same in Vietnam? No. So you don't have to have a passport or any no. kind of ID, right? So this is, the, this is the strange thing in Russia, right? In Russia, if a policeman asks you for your ID, you have to provide it. Otherwise, they take you to a police station and say, where's your ID? You can't say to them, I'm nobody. You don't have a right to ask me. There are standards of etiquette, right? And even though you said you don't have an opinion on it, Ivan, the fact is that you do. I never said that I don't have an opinion. I said that I know nothing about it. It doesn't come on. I don't have to know about something to have an opinion well, on it. Well, it's not only about how you conduct yourself, how you behave in public, but it's also about how to uh, um, how to hold a fork, how to hold a wine of glass. And I've watched quite a couple of videos on YouTube uh, about etiquette uh, from an Alice stylist or something. I think it's not that important in uh, everyday life. Nobody pays attention to it as far as you don't eat the soup straight your from... <laughs> you don't, don't eat your soup with, with your hands. hands. Or straight from... I think there's practical reasons for that. <laughs> We had in our school a special class for this, but it was mostly like extracurriculum. So you needed to stay after your usual classes uh, to be taught how to set up uh, a table. For guests, what, how many forks, which forks are which, etc., etc. And that was a class? Yes. We had a, this, uh, this class in our school. It was extracurricular class, but it still was a class. And, and what happened at home when you had this class? Did you go back and tell your parents, Mum, you're doing it all wrong? I haven't visited this class a single time. The etiquette class? Why would I, why, why, why would I visit it? Oh, soft skills. Soft skills. Yeah. If you get invited to a lord's I don't know what soft skills How would you know? So, well, soft skills are the kind of skills you don't learn in school, but obviously you did learn them in school. But you know, naturally, no, you didn't because you didn't it go to them. It was taught at school. It was taught, but you never went. <laughs> I never went. No. That's terrible. Nobody went to these classes. Come on. There is a choice. You want to go home and obviously cultivate your potatoes or stay and learn about etiquette. So which one would you choose? Of course you would choose potatoes or cabbage. I would choose etiquette. Well, this is because you're British and your people are weird. No, actually, I wouldn't choose etiquette because I wouldn't need to know. It was taught all the time. I've, I've never been at a meal in Britain where they didn't provide a knife with the fork. And yet you have never used a knife to fight. Eh, British people. Well, you know, don't judge me. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh,
What else can be included in etiquette? Well, in etiquette, well, what I suppose the way you speak to people, the way you eat your food. Well, the minimum distance when you speak to somebody. Oh, that's a good one. Is it okay to hug somebody in the street? Well, if you know them, <laughs> if it's a random person, that would be weird. It would be an assault, I would think. Random people. Well, not random people. Not random. When do you if hug somebody? Yeah, if it's if your you acquaintance. Want to, yeah, if you want to hug someone and they're not against it. Sure. So I can hug anybody in this room if we're in the street? Sure, why not? Oh, thanks, guys. It's Russian culture, I think. Do Russians it's hug? It's part of the Russian culture, because in Vietnam you can't just... Um... I will most likely stab you, though, if you try to hug me. Why? Because don't touch me. <laughs> it's just him. It's him personally. I haven't went to kindergarten. I haven't socialized enough. Don't, don't talk to him. But Well, in Vietnam you can't actually, like, hug a person, even the one you know in the street. So how do you, you greet meet. them? Just say hello. People usually just bow a little bit uh, when uh, they meet uh, an older person or you shake your hands and that's it. Well, sh uh, only, only men uh, shake that's their hands. That's a thing. I've noticed this. In Russia, men shake hands and women don't touch each other. Same in Vietnam. I, I disagree with it. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Do you shake hands with women? No, you just uh, slightly bow to a woman with your head, nod, I, I suppose. Acknowledge them, yeah? Yes, and but women to each other, they kiss each other's cheeks like no, three or four times. Uh, that wouldn't work in Vietnam. That wouldn't work. Women don't kiss each other. No. Would it be considered Nobody rude? Nobody kisses each other in the street and when they greet each other, no. Even if it's a man and a wife? No. Still. What about holding hands? Do people hold hands in the street? In Vietnam, well, the 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 love uh, the the lovers, lovers, yes. that's okay. What about husband and wife? <laughs> <laughs> they are no longer lovers, so no, <laughs> there is no love. They graduated from that, and now <laughs> graduated from. Yeah, it. well, that I I don't know. I think that's kind of what about but, minimum well, social kissing, distance? Kissing, kissing, like uh, men, women, kissing. Uh, in the street in Vietnam is uh, concerned impolite. But uh, you wouldn't like Italy. People hold hands here. I when I I've been to Africa. One of the things that surprised me was that men hold hands as they walk down the street. Men. Yeah, men. So if I was in East Africa and men will hold hands with each other as they walk down the street, and I thought that was very strange. Well, nobody. Only children hold hands, no matter who they are, because they always. Friends, up, good friends. Well, yeah, but Girl, I mean, children are different. Girlfriends may hold hands. Girlfriends do hold hands. That's true. But in Britain, that I, I don't know. Every, I suppose everybody could hold hands. Brit British people are not that judgmental about who you hold hands with as you walk down the street. They don't really care that much. But it, it's mostly not about etiquette, but um, about culture, uh, I think. Well, yeah. So in Vietnam, it's kind of a distant culture, would you say? And I've read that in some books, Vietnamese books, that there's a certain distance that you must uh, stay from a person who you don't know, who you know but not well, or who is your friend, who is your close friend, or a certain distance with your boss. So there are quite strict rules in Vietnamese etiquette, business etiquette, I would say. Ah, yeah, that's another thing, business etiquette. Oh my God, it's so much easier in countryside. You just yell at person, hey, you, do you want to buy tomato? They say, yes, I want to buy tomato. And you sell them tomato. I, it's Only so one easy. tomato. Well, 
no, it's plural, but they don't know how to pl- pluralize. I'm sure they words. do. I'm sure they do. I'm I'm sure that in the uh, in the countryside, the people are modern and and in you know they they have etiquette in the countryside. I'm sorry, man. Would you like to partake in my tomatoes? It will not cost you much. Believe me. Oh, why yes, I would like to buy some of your tomatoes. Two kilos, please. Of course, my young friend. Here you go. Have a nice meal. Goodbye. There you go. That's the voice of the Russian countryside. You can hear. You heard it here first. Well, I mean, etiquette is it just a city thing, then, Ivan? No, I don't think it's just a city thing. But I don't think it's mostly about business now. I don't think. Yes, I don't think even people who consider themselves quite cordial they use proper proper etiquette they are respectful and they use some certain things but nobody knows really what etiquette rules are because none none of us have read the book the only thing we can remember is what our teachers and parents told us which is polite and which is impolite but not putting your elbow on the towel yeah, table yeah 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 but most likely if you read the book about etiquette you will find out what a gross filthy swine you are because you are not protruding your pinky when you are drinking tea and you are not properly bowing when you are uh, cultivating parsnips. Well, I see, the thing is, for etiquette, our guest Daria, I know her and she is very nice and polite all of the time. She is just such a wonderfully cultivated person and she never lets it slip. I've never seen or heard her say anything bad about anybody or act in an inappropriate way. Does a person hide... Uh, oh, you mean his a, a, real oh. face behind his hypocritical? Yes, I'm not. Sh- I don't know. I think it's that's a good question. If, if if you're being overly polite, are you being hypocritical, or is it better to be honest and open your feelings at every moment? I don't know that it is. If you were completely honest about your emotions, right, it, you would just let it all hang out, as they say in English, and that I don't think is pleasant to see, isn't it? I don't I don't think you want to see people being themselves necessarily depending on where you are. I mean my my thing is this after a certain degree of etiquette is it's kind of how well you know someone, right? So as, as the longer you know them the less etiquette there is, the less formality there is, right? And in Russia that tails off really quickly. I've noticed this that once you when you first meet somebody it's a lot of etiquette and then once you know them pretty well Uh, the second time. Well, not even the second time, but if you invite someone to your house and they come to your house and and then you become friends like that, there's almost no etiquette anymore. Everybody just says what they want to say and does what they want to do. Right? There's it, for me it's like a thin veneer. In Britain the stereotype is that everyone's cold and manners mean everything, right? And it to a large extent it's kind of true. Even with people, even with your aunts and uncles, with family members, there's a way to act around them. You know, you have to wait until they've left the house before, you know, you engage in certain activities, you know, sitting around in your pants doing all the things that you would normally do. But you when when grandma's here, you don't do that. And that's true in our culture. Is it true in Vietnamese culture? Well, sure, in Vietnamese culture it's quite the same. I would say a child isn't allowed to leave the table until everybody's done with their meal. Nobody is allowed, probably. Nobody's supposed to leave the table before the, all, all the members of the family are done with the meal. You're listening to Understanding Russia. This idea that you have, like, formal language that you use for certain people. In Russian, we have we and 
T forms. Like right. there's the familiar you or single you, and then there's a plural you that you use. Right. We don't have that in English. You used to have it. We used to have it, but we don't have it anymore. Why don't you use thou? But you switch. Well, in Russian, you switch to the T form quite uh, fast. Uh, you never, well, nobody never switches to a closer form uh, of calling a person in Vietnamese language. So. So it always stays the same. Yes, it always stays the same. You said about older people. What about grandmothers, grandfathers? Still have to be polite with them. You don't call them T. Mm, you like don't call the, them the, the, the familiar form. Yeah. Oh, because in the Russia, form. because in Russia, grandmothers and grandfathers are here to spoil their uh, grandchildren. I have heard some of my acquaintances have called their grandfathers formally, but never their grandmothers, because grandmothers are always like this ally. I no mean, call my friend, happens. a friend of mine. We are uh, uh, talking with him. Uh, and using V form, uh, but sarcastically. Oh, well, yeah. Of... So you can use it as a kind of source of humor. I mean, I remember as, when I was growing up, there was a phrase which you, you wouldn't talk like that to your mother or you wouldn't look. When, whenever we swore, our teachers would catch us and they would say, you wouldn't use that kind of language with your mother or your grandmother. Is there a taboo on swearing to your grandparents? Oh, yes, of course. What are what? It's a taboo and swearing on everybody. To anyone, yes. To anybody. But again, it goes from family to family. There are some families who swear from the youngest age around the world everywhere. So, And some people cannot swear when they're 50 years old. So it depends. Of course, it's taboo to swear at anyone, no matter their age. But young people tend to swear a lot at each other, right? Oh, because they think that's cool. Because it's a forbidden words. Maybe because it's just a habit. Well, it's just a habit for me. <laughs> I'm Does used it still to it. surprise you? I can't fix it. Does it surprise you when you hear older people swear? Older people, they don't swear here. I don't hear older people swear. You've never heard older people swear in no. Russia? No. What about well, in Vietnam? Cultured. Nobody swears. Older people, uh, well, in, fr uh, in the prisons of uh, younger ones, they must show themselves as cultured, well-mannered ones. Obviously, nobody swears in front of children. It would be horrific. Right. But increasingly, there's a lot of swearing in comedy and in rap music and things like that. So it's in the culture in the English language in such a way as it's almost impossible to avoid it now. Well, that's just a result of decadence, it's all. There's decadence. no swear words in Vietnamese uh, right. comedy. So there's, you're not allowed to swear on public media? Yes. We are allowed certain swear words because they're not exactly swear words in Russian. They're considered swear words, but they're not because they're used in l literature. Are they, are they euphemisms for swear no. words, though? No. So we have things like the F word and the S bomb and things like that. Do you have a, an equivalent in your culture? Oh, my God, so many. But can you use them, like, in polite society? Well, only a few of them because they are not euphemisms, but phrases. Right. It's a very old Russian set phrase, and it will not be censored because it is a... Literature. Because it is from literature, thank you. So that's interesting. My nan, my Irish nan, she would call it effing and blinding because she lived in London, and she say things like efferty jefferty. Well, the, my nan's generation anyway. They, that's the far as they would go. And so swearing was really taboo for my grandparents' generation. 
And it was really something special. And I remember as a kid growing up when the first swear words were allowed on British television. Is there any authority in Britain or in Russia that controls the content of public media and uh, imposes fines over those who behave not well, not properly? I don't think they're fines. It's not that far. But I think they censor a lot of things because it is considered art, quote-unquote. So you cannot find for it. You can censor it pretty heavily. You're listening to Understanding Russia. In Britain, censorship is mainly self-censorship. I think if if there's nothing truly censored, but the BBC kind of sets the standard. And the BBC will have a standard on how many swear words can be put in one episode and when that's possible. So after a certain time at night, they have the watershed. And after nine o'clock at night, you can broadcast most things except just pornography. But swearing, I think after nine o'clock, you can say what you like. Well, because it, it's concerned that children are... Are in bed. But that's obviously not true anymore. C- come on, no one's watching TV anymore. Everyone is on the internet and you cannot censor the internet. You can try, but you will <laughs> well, fail. Well, that's, that's it. That's true. This, this is what's going on. So the watershed has ceased to have meaning in Britain. And what's happened that I've discovered is that swearing is now nearly universally used in so much so that if you hear a swear word on the street or if you hear a swear word in your conversation you almost don't react to it my mum still doesn't like it but generally speaking no mums no mum likes it well in vietnam it's very taboo right you wouldn't swear at your mother well i would but uh, in a very soft form so say not the worst swear words Are there soft swear Try. words? There isn't a single swear word I can call my mum or my father for that matter. Well, no, I won't call them by swear, swear words. Well, in front of them, yeah, as I said, there are certain swear words, well, which are not exactly swear words, as I said, but to refer to them as one. Is that is that part of etiquette? I suppose speech is part of etiquette, right? Sure. I, I would say it's part of common sense well, and etiquette because you will get murdered. Clothing is a part of etiquette too. Clothing. Sure, how yeah. you dress up. That's true. The fact that we're all wearing clothes is something I'm always grateful for. I can't imagine a world in which some of my students would turn up with no clothes on. Well, they may do it in Europe because uh, of uh, human rights. Human, human rights. It's, it hasn't got that far. I know that in, in Germany... What about my human right not seeing this That's my atrocity? Point. That's my point. I mean, I'm not one for saying, oh, Close you should never eyes. be offended. Close your eyes. Yeah, that's difficult when you're walking through the streets, though. Yeah. Mm, well, uh, recently uh, I went to a meeting and I wore black jeans and they said, maybe you should change your jeans to a dress here in Russia uh-huh. in our at our center of cross-cultural communication. The woman told me maybe you should change your jeans to a dress or trousers, but not jeans. The no jeans rule. No jeans rule because of a an important person being there. Be offended by your denim. No, he he wasn't there at that moment, but she was afraid of it. I think dress code is pretty universal. I, I mean, the issue of whether a woman should wear a dress or a skirt, I think... Well, she did offer your offer trousers as well. Yeah? She just meant formal, right? Yes, but, yeah. well, black jeans do not look that uh, informal. I don't know. You and I are both wearing black jeans and we're, I don't know, is it smart, casual? I don't know. I don't know why. I'm, I hate jeans and wearing trousers all the time. 
Yeah, well, you're very smart. No, yokel. I'm just from countryside where you cannot imagine to harvest cauliflower while being nude. Can you imagine <laughs> that would be hell? Oh, yeah. while wearing jeans. <laughs> no, you can wear jeans, by the way. You cannot wear trousers because they will get dirty. If jeans get dirty, so it's okay. No one likes jeans. honored that Ivan is wearing trousers today. I'm very happy about that. He's the only uh, well-mannered, cultured person here yes, to wear trousers with etiquette. That's right, and I know nothing about etiquette. Shame on you both. Shame on you both. Thank you very much for um, uh, uh, enlightening me about etiquette. You're listening to Understanding Russia. That's all very well, but it's time we heard from an expert. We tasked Dmitri, whose manners are generally impeccable, with asking Daria Kosova some questions about today's theme. Daria has many strings to her bow, and one of them is a deep knowledge of the history and practice of Russian etiquette. I'm a teacher, and I often hear the children asking, why do we even need etiquette? Why do we have to follow proper etiquette? Excellent question. Etiquette is a set of conventional recommendations, guidelines, rather than rules, that create an understanding of what we can do and what is logical in certain circumstances. It's all about common sense. It's about polite and friendly communication. If we go back in time, we'll see the etiquette we use today has its origin in the French royal courts of the 17th and 18th centuries. The word used to mean keep off the grass. Louis XIV's gardener at Versailles was bothered by the aristocrats who were walking over his garden, so he put up signs, or etiquettes, to warn them to stay off. It was a way of maintaining a cultivated aesthetic, which was constantly being violated by his ill-mannered courtiers. This became associated with standards of proper behavior. Today, these standards would seem primitive, but the name stuck, and now we call the code of polite behavior etiquette. The fact is, etiquette is so much more. It is the interaction of people with each other, the ability to negotiate, to respect your own and other people's boundaries and it goes back to ancient times. In Babylon, Hammurabi's code was carved onto a massive stone steel and established standards for commercial interactions and good manners. Do you agree with the statement that those people who disregard etiquette still unconsciously follow its rules? Sure. For example, could you come to someone's house and wipe your dirty hands on the curtain? I don't think so. That's etiquette. You wouldn't do it because of your awareness of etiquette. Fair enough. Today I watched Shrek with the kids. It seems that even the ogre follows etiquette. Indeed. Okay, could you please give us an overview of etiquette in Russia? Since the 10th century, Princess Vladimir Monomak and Yaroslav the Wise stated in their law codes communication standards for their liege men. If I remember correctly, Sevalod the Big Nest left his children an instruction with recommendations for teens and youngsters. It referred to how a young man should behave himself in order to be accepted in a society. There are many etiquette recommendations in Chronicles, which were primarily aimed at young men, as men were the focus of medieval society. You have probably heard about Domostroy, as it's in the high school history curriculum. Domostroy regulates even the rules for serving food. It says that a good host should check the plates for cracks. This is eating etiquette as well as social etiquette. Could you please clarify for our foreign listeners what Domostroy is? Not everyone knows. 
Tolstoy is a 16th-century Russian set of household rules, instructions and advice pertaining to various religious, social and family matters in Russian society. To give a more comprehensive example to our foreign listeners, I should mention Erasmus of Rotterdam. You've probably heard of him. He wrote about similar things. Before him, many Italian authors had written about how one should behave in a society and how to behave at the table. Such papers appear regularly in the historical record. Demostroy is only one example. So modern Russian etiquette relies primarily on Demostroy. By no means, no. Then, by decree of Peter I, the book The Honest Mirror of Youth, or Indications for Worldly Manners, was published. It was collected from various sources. Modern Russian etiquette consists of a lot of different things. This is exactly what I want to tackle in this discussion. The main difficulty lies in the fact that we are not sure where to look for these starting points for modern Russian etiquette. In addition to the original Russian works, such as Domostroy and The Honest Mirror of Youth, we also have the influence of the 19th century. In 19th century Britain, some recommendations for the conduct of ladies and gentlemen began to emerge. In the Russian Empire, some etiquette guides for maids and governesses are published at about the same time. Right now, the focus of my research is on the royal household of Peter the Great. He invited Germans and Austrians to his court, and they brought their culture with them. Their manners were adopted by the nobles and traveled down the social strata. Then there's French influence. French etiquette was popular during the reign of Alexander I. I think maybe even before Alexander. We all know about the letters of Catherine II to Voltaire and other French Enlightenment writers. But in the 19th century, Russian nobility started adopting their etiquette because many tutors, governesses and nannies came from their own countries to help bring up children of noble families. If an English nanny was invited into the family, British manners were adopted. If someone invited a French mademoiselle, the French etiquette flourished. And here we stumble upon a conflict. Such discrepancies in the 19th century add a lot of things to our culture that today my colleagues and I argue over. Where did this come from? From whom was that adopted and why? It's known for certain that Prince Kurakin exported a special way of serving tables to the French. Food is prepared in the kitchen, and then each course is brought to the table sequentially and carved and portioned by the waiter, to which the guest then helps themselves to. However, sometimes the food is prepared and pre-cut in the kitchen and arranged on platters, and is then individually served to each guest at the table. Waiters don't put all the dishes on the table, as we usually do at New Year's Eve parties. This kind of table serving originated in the Russian Empire, and the French adopted it just from the exalted prince. You're listening to Understanding Russia. So one can say that etiquette in Russia has a chaotic history. Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that you, as an expert on etiquette, would challenge that idea, but I am to be disappointed, it would seem. Um, actually, there are almost no regions of the world that have not interacted with their neighbors and adopted some of their ways. Most cultures will appropriate something at some point in their history. It is reflected in the way we speak. There are many borrowings in our language, so the word sandwich, in Russian butterbrot, is taken from the German butterbrot, as well as customary codes of polite behavior, many of which are also borrowed. And the more international links we have, the more changes in behavior are adopted. The nobles looked to the emperor. He was their beacon and leader. They were always trying to gain influence at court. At a certain point in history, the British manner took center stage in our country, and at another, that of the French. However, if we look at Alexander I period there, in this case I may contradict myself here in regard to the fact that everything is adopted in Russia. No, imported rules and matters do adapt to the region they come to. For example, let's
wood-stake interior design and furniture. The bob table came to us in the 19th century. Yes, it has a French origin, but instead of the wood used in France, we had it made from local curly Karelian birch. But if the nobles look up to the emperor, who do the peasants look up to? They mimic everyone around them. There is not much to see because there are fewer landowners than peasants. If we look at the percentage of peasants and how many nobles there are on average on one estate, we see that the ratio is enormous. It is clear that most peasants did not see how the nobility lived. The nobility was a private and secretive class. And at the beginning of the 19th century, the nobility was even more disconnected from the peasantry. By the mid to late 19th century, after the reallocation of land, the abolition of serfdom and the transition to a different economic system, some nobility were impoverished to the level of peasants. For example, the famous writer Turgenev in the novel Fathers and Sons looks at different lifestyles in the estates of the princes. In that book, we glimpse lifestyles of the noble middle class, the rich nobles and the genuinely poor ones. Their way of life varies radically from each to another. Is etiquette different for men and women in Russia, and to what extent? There is gender-related etiquette, of course. I don't know whether we ever come to equality in this matter or whether we need it, but we do have etiquette differences between men and women. If we talk about the rules of behavior in society, a man is expected to be gallant and a woman to be elegant. When a man acts gallantly, it is met with a certain amount of encouragement, smiles and appreciation. I've been noticing that young girls and students don't know how to react to these tokens of consideration and attention. If, in an informal situation, an unfamiliar young man holds the door for such a girl, she won't sincerely thank him, that he is like a head waiter or something similar. It brings me down a little me bit. Me too. This is the first time we've seen each other in person. I held the door for you when we met. Did I do everything right? Yes. Then we went upstairs and we wanted to hang up our coats in the wardrobe. Tell me please, as an etiquette expert, was I supposed to help you take off your coat? No, we have a working relationship. There are formal and informal occasions. Let's say we meet in the cloakroom in the library or at some other informal event. In such situations, it's okay to offer help. How should one do it properly? Can I take your coat? Or just, can I help you? I already understand what you want to help with, because I'm starting to take off my coat. It's okay to be direct, so there's no air of uneasiness. Even if we don't know each other? No, only if we know each other. Strangers are supposed to keep their distance. Here we are getting to the subject of personal space. Russians have a strong sense of both social and personal space. At first, we set boundaries and don't allow people to come close physically and emotionally. A prime example of that would be how Russians don't like to share information about their homes. They're happy to share hotel room photos from their vacations, but their homes are a no-no. Russians keep distance for a long time and protect their personal space as fiercely as their homes. Anyway, so far I haven't done anything wrong, etiquette-wise. Everything was great. Every day I go to work and see the same people. I don't say hello to them. My mother once told me that they were taught in Soviet times to say hello to people you see every day, even though you don't know them. I have a feeling that I'm doing something wrong. Could you please clarify it a bit? Should I say hello to them or not? I recommend saying hello to everyone we cross paths with more than once. 
It's advisable to greet people if we meet them regularly. Let's say you're taking a vacation in a hotel and repeatedly bump into another resident of a given hotel in the elevator or somewhere else. Greeting them would be a nice gesture. It's a microculture. You are now living with them under the same roof, in the same space. It's lovely to greet them with a smile in the morning or wish them a good night in the evening. We also have this weird custom in Russia when strangers start talking on public transport. It's more common among older people, especially old ladies. They can violate personal boundaries and give people advice about some private matters. Are there any etiquette rules or guidelines about that? There are eloquent rules of etiquette concerning such situations. People who have read a few contemporary books on the topic and don't treat etiquette with contempt know them well. I admire people who find relevant etiquette information on their own or with the help of an expert. It makes life easier. If you know these rules of conduct, you can always get out of any unpleasant situation where people rush your boundaries and invade your personal space. We can always tactfully and discreetly distance ourselves without burning bridges. Do it in an inoffensive way. If some people approach you with personal questions or advice, you can thank them and refrain from further communication. You can say that you're busy. For some reason, in our town, people don't say thank you and you're welcome with that much. Politeness is social currency. You can buy anything with it. It provides a lot of gain and doesn't cost a thing. There are senior citizens who ask strange questions not only on public transport, but in your neighborhood. They can live nearby, be your neighbors. Usually, they are pleasant and courteous, but sometimes they can bother you with some unwanted advice. You cannot be rude because they're your neighbor. There's nowhere to run. The wisest thing would be to find some common ground with them. It's hard for people who are uninformed in matters of etiquette. I think that the ability to engage in small talk is an important skill for anyone. If you're good at it, people won't ask you inappropriate questions. If it's already happened, say something like, thank you, I'm a little distracted at the moment, or I'm sorry, I don't really have time to go into that right now, and try to evade the conversation. Would it be okay if I phrase it a little something like, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this, goodbye. Yes, that's fine. Maybe a bit direct. Russian men don't want to lose their assertiveness. It can even seem charming. One of my recent posts was about how great it is for a man to have a little bit of sass about him, without being rude, of course. You're listening to Understanding Russia. It came to me naturally. I'm sorry, I do not possess the time. It's not me at all. <laughs> of course we adjust the words to our purposes and to our image. Yours may be drastically different from mine, and it's perfectly fine. My Russian language teacher and my mother taught me that it is impolite to say bless you after someone sneezes. Were they right? There is an age-old Russian tradition of wishing you health and saying bon appétit. The matter of health and well-being is a feature of a family's conversation. And naturally, we sometimes extend this habit to interactions with colleagues with whom we shouldn't be sharing this kind of information. Well, it's really up to you on that one. As bless you is be healthy in Russian, and health is a taboo topic in social discourse here, particularly at work, and we're also communicating with strangers, so it's not advisable to wish them health and talk about their health. According to Russian tradition, it's okay to wish health to your relatives and friends. There's a story in the Slavic mythology about it. Licha, which is an embodiment of evil fate and misfortune, stole a child from a family because no one wished it health when it sneezed. Saying bon appétit is also a skill. There's another one of our customs, but as with everything, appropriateness is crucial. We shouldn't say bon appétit to a person who's chewing. He wouldn't want to answer, to be just as polite, but he just can't. In such cases, the advice would be to just smile and nod. However, 
However, wishing everyone a great meal at a family dinner is another thing. So, it's appropriate to say bon appetit within the family and among friends, but not in the working environment. Is it okay to wish bon appetit at a business meeting? No. As with saying Russian bless you, we do it only with friends and family. Yes, because it's health-related. Let's return, if we may, to gender etiquette in Russia. Not only do Russian men open doors for women, they are also expected to give up their seats on a bus. Is that true? Yes, Dmitry, let me just clarify one thing. It's not only men who hold the doors open for women. Gender is not important here. I'm a woman, and I can open the door for someone carrying huge bags. It's completely fine. He or she may well be healthy and strong, but carrying some heavy bags. I can hold the door. That's common sense. Well, I won't be offended by a woman opening the door for me, even if I'm not carrying any groceries. <laughs> exactly, it's the context that matters. In situations like these, we put the gender discussion aside and just respect ourselves and each other. We just do nice things. It's not the time or place for disputes. It's not about feminism or masculinity. It's just a better way for everyone involved. Things are different in the West, though. They may see it as an insult or even harassment. We don't. We're in a different country. Are they worried we'll adopt this trend? No, I'm not. Everything changes and we'll get there sooner or later. I can already see that the generation gap has increased. I often use public transport and the general dynamic is clear. Several years ago, young people were eager to give up their seat to the elderly and pregnant women. It's more complicated in today's Russia. Men tend not to give up seats, but that's probably because now true gentlemen drive their own cars. Does it upset you? No, not at all. Times change and we change with them. In defense of men, I have to say both men and women pay the same amount for the right. <laughs> I knew we'd have the money talk at some point. You know, I think we need to loosen up in gender discussions. We're different and that's great. It's appropriate to give up your seat to a person who needs it, no matter the gender. Though I understand why women get angry when someone offers a seat to them. They consider themselves equal. They work the same amount of hours and carry the load of housework. What do they get for that? Take a seat, you're weaker than me. I stand by the equality discourse, but with a note. People should respect others in any social interaction. They should understand the motivation behind some of my actions. For example, why I might give up my seat to a man with a broken leg or a pregnant woman. The situation has indeed changed in modern Russia. If a man didn't offer a seat to a woman 10 years ago, people would look down on him right from the get-go. But now, let me give you an example. So, my friend and I were on the bus and he didn't offer a seat to a woman and she started screaming like crazy. She didn't scream at me though. I guess it's possible I'm a big lad and she was a little wary of me. My point is people don't frown upon men as they did before, right? Yes, it may also be related to women raising their sons in that fashion. I mean, they were carrying bags but still giving up their seats to their little boys. The world is a bit upside down now. Why would we demand the offering of seats to women if those men were raised watching their mothers stand even with heavy grocery bags. There has to be some common sense. Yeah, I would recommend looking at yourself before judging others. If there's one thing this job has taught me, it's to stop judging. There's still room for improvement. I keep on learning. It's harder than it seems. You're listening to Understanding Russia. 
The cultural phenomenon of handshaking in Russia is different from the Western one. As a man, I can say that it's a custom to shake hands every time you meet a man you know. At times it's ridiculous, like you have to shake hands with everyone in the classroom even when you're late. But we mustn't shake hands with women. Why is that? Who says you mustn't? There are formal and informal situations. In big cities, men usually greet women with a handshake. It's common both for formal and informal events. Have you watched the movie Moscow Does Not Believe in Tears? The plot centers on three young women who come to Moscow from smaller towns. They shake hands with others without any hesitation. I'm not sure about the number, but there are around 15 or so male-female handshaking scenes in this movie. Do you shake hands with women you know? No, that's a different story. Throughout Russian history, no one could touch a free woman with a certain status. Otherwise, you'd be beaten with a stick or receive some other punishment. Over time, the situation became even more complicated. Let's take the daughters of a boyar and the boyar lifestyle in general. They had male and female parts of the house. The wives and daughters did not have the right to leave their part of the house. They lived there with their mothers and nannies. After the age of five, boys had to live on the men's side. It was only after Peter the Great ascent to the throne that some changes began. Russian women became more emancipated and exchanged their hidden status for that of society women. They gradually adopted secularity and openness. Catherine II and the balls she held also played an important role. In general, a noble woman didn't receive much male attention. It was massively taboo to touch her. If we look at the lives of peasant women, even in the city, we see that they were often under their father's protection and then their husbands. No one could touch them. So the tradition remained and that's why men don't shake hands with women. We have made it to the 19th century when women are becoming more secular and living more freely. At that time, they could already extend a hand when introducing themselves. The man would shake their hand delicately. Close relatives could even gently kiss her hand. But this hand kissing had some nuances. Firstly, the lady had to be married. Kissing an unmarried lady's hand was strictly prohibited. Secondly, the greeting had to take place indoors, not at a train station or a market. There, the lady would offer her hand and the man would kiss it, without touching her bare skin. The lady always wore gloves. And then the man would take a little bow. In movies, we can often see exaggerated versions of it. Perhaps the director wanted to show the moment of a man's transition from a lower class to a noble class. In such cases, the man might have touched the woman's hand, but she looked at him with disdain. A lot of moments related to etiquette can be hidden in movies, and only by knowing the language of etiquette can we recognize them. Next, we move on to the Soviet Union, when the woman becomes a comrade. She was equal to the men in every way. After the Second World War, the situation escalated. Comrades shook hands when they met. How am I supposed to shake a hand then? Like you just did before the recording. So, you're saying that men and women were equal in the Soviet Union. Does the handshake need to be firm then? The handshake also shows the attitude of an individual. According to etiquette textbooks, a handshake shouldn't be rough. It should be firm. Just lift your hand once or twice. Don't squeeze it. No squeezing, no. A firm one, I agree. But don't twist their arm. Okay, what about hugs? How appropriate is it to hug someone? If you barely know someone, you need to ask first, can I hug you? Without knowing a person well, you might just violate their personal space. If you know them well enough, then, you know, it's like falling in love. It comes naturally with the people we've known for some time. I've heard that kissing friends in France is ubiquitous, like kisses on the cheek, etc. But it's different with hugs. How common is hugging in Russia? 
The situation here is changing. Earlier, relatives or close friends could hug upon meeting. Today, mostly teenagers hug each other. I think it's because of technological progress and gadget addiction. Teens want human warmth, and they eagerly cut the personal distance. I see this trend in my students. They need a hug. They often initiate it. Tarya Gennadievna, may I give you a hug? They crave it. On one hand, middle-aged people are more careful because of the epidemiological situation. They tend to follow the recommendations. On the other hand, And people who trust each other, who've already recovered from COVID, long for this warmth. And the lacking closeness, after having been locked away for several months, is compensated with hugs. Russian people aren't generally that tactile. Hugging, holding hands and cuddling are not what we do here. It all comes from the lack of closeness in childhood. If you look at a kitten, you'll see that mother cats lick their kittens as a part of the grooming process. However, cats will also lick each other as a sign of affection. Therefore, kittens are raised in this way, they're not afraid of falling. They on and off of everything. Kids who grew in the environment of love and affection are more tough and resilient in adulthood. By the way, do you think the pandemic will have a global influence on handshaking culture? Yes, certainly. It will become an act of respect and deep trust. Ah. Oh, so do you think it won't lose its relevance, but will become something more sacred? Of course, because of the pandemic and the way society evolves, attitudes will change. Some people will probably retreat into their shell, put on gloves, spray antiseptics all over, and distance themselves. Others will do the opposite. I'm sure this can all be explained by psychology. Well, what about Russia? We have a custom of shaking hands every day when we see a person. Will this pass into history? No. Thank you for listening to Understanding Russia. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us via our website at urpod.net, where you can find all our social media links, or via email, understandingrussia at gmail.com. We will be very happy to hear from you. You have been listening to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University.